Good morning. You got your Bibles? Turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. What are you all staring at? It, it, it almost matches my shirt. What's the problem? If I left that on, nobody would be able to concentrate, would they? So, are you saying that we have some traditions around here that might be a problem if we step outside of them? Hmm. We are more. I better move that or everybody's going to be staring at it. Just the point. Somebody tell me. Why would that be a problem for you if I wore my hat while I was preaching? Getting a little ringing going on here. Right. Because it's a, it's a tradition. It's a tradition that, tells, that means something. If I would have wear a hat in my head, I would be disrespecting not only the authority I represent, but I would be disrespecting myself. That's why the tradition is in place. And we are not far removed from this. It was only the 60s into the 70s where ladies stopped wearing hats. So I just wanted you, before we read this, because it's a hard text, nobody says, what in the world does that have to do with us? It has a lot to do with us. And uh, so let's stand to our feet. Hmm. You catch it? Why are we standing? Out of respect. It's a tradition. It's rooted somewhere. We're going to look at that today. So 1 Corinthians chapter 11. We're beginning with verse 2 because we stopped at verse 1 last week. Verse 2, chapter 11, 1 Corinthians. Now I commend you because you remember me in everything and maintain the traditions even as I deliver them to you. But I want you to understand that the head of every man is Christ. The head of a wife is her husband and the head of Christ is God. Every man who prays and prophesies with his head covered dishonors his head. But every wife who prays and prophesies with her head uncovered dishonors her head. Since it is the same as if her head were shaven. For if a wife will not cover her head, then she should just cut her hair short. But since it is disgraceful for a wife to cut her hair or shave her head, let her cover her head. For a man ought not to cover his head, since he is the image and glory of God. But woman is the glory of man. For man was not made from woman, but woman from man. Neither was man created for woman, but woman for man. That is why a wife ought to have a symbol of authority on her head because of the angels. Nevertheless, in the Lord, woman is not independent of man, nor man of woman. For as woman was made from man, so man is now born of woman. And all things are from God. Judge for yourself. Is it proper for a wife to pray to God with her head uncovered? Does not nature itself teach you that if a man wears long hair, it is a disgrace for him? But if a woman has long hair, it is for her glory? For hair is given to her for a covering. If anyone is inclined to be contentious, we have no such practice, nor do the churches of God. This is God's Word. Let's pray. 
Lord, help us, Lord. We do not live in that context and we are so far removed in our context, Lord, of rights and privileges and freedom. And Lord, help us to understand the context, to understand the timeless truths and practical principles you have in this text for us today. And God, for the spouses in the room, thank you. Thank you. You be honored today, Lord, through your word. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. So it's chapters 11. If you've got your Bibles, you can notice chapter 11 deals with head coverings. If you look at your, if your Bible has headings, you could flip over and see we're going to talk about the Lord's Supper in this chapter, and then spiritual gifts, and then love. And we're dealing with issues, remember, of life together. And now he's going to deal specifically with questions and instructions about how we corporately worship with each other. It's very practical things. There's tradition going on, there's culture, there's what's going on in the church, what's going on in the culture at that time, in their own culture, and now we have our culture, it's a different culture. So we could read this about head coverings for women and just say, that's something for them, let's just move on to chapter 12. So I want you to understand what's going on here in the Greco-Roman culture of the day. This is an honor-shame culture. If you go to somewhere like Asia, it's still alive and well. There's many cultures that still function this way. For Romans, to put it in an extreme way, Romans would rather die in honor than to live in shame. Okay, that's, for them, shouldn't have going, they were hedonists, they loved money, they loved wealth. No, they loved honor. Their, their wealth was just a means of getting honor. This was part of the culture, and this is not... The Bible, far from condemning it, we'll see today, actually uses it. This collides, so to speak, the reason for the cultural norms of that day. And so you see it on your notes there. A married woman was not expected to wear her hair long or loose in public in that day. If you did, the honor-shame culture kicks in. That would bring shame to the family. And remember, this is a patriarchal society. It's male headship in the family. Bringing shame to the family, bringing shame to him, was the ultimate shame. This was a cultural norm here. But there were things going on in the culture. I want you to sort of get a hold of it because the same thing. Nothing new under the sun. Culture goes through corrections and reformations and little changes and it was going on there as well so it's not like that they were wearing a little doily as some do we've we've actually been to a church that the women wore a little these little doily things on their head that's not what this was this is more of a cloak that they wore they would wear it when they were out in public men would oftentimes we'll talk about that later wear coverings over their head but that was connected to the way they worshipped in paganism. 
But there was something called a new Roman women that was going on to the day. It happened just like it did in the 60s and 70s, where women, especially in the upper echelons, were finding these new freedoms. They were pushing against the cultural norms of the day. This is coming in and bleeding into the church, as it always does. This was happening there, influencing what's going on in the church. There's nothing new that's happening there. It's happening here but I want you to sort of see where maybe some of these women will be having some trouble. So turn with me to Galatians 3. I hope as we've studied through 1 Corinthians, you found yourself where we used to be very critical to the, of the Corinthians. Now we're beginning to relate to them in a lot of ways. You see, they had understood the gospel. Uh, Galatians 3, look at verse 28. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither a male nor female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. Okay? So think about this. Every culture at every time in every context today and then has to understand what does that look like in my life? Right? What does it look like in my marriage? What does it look like in my home? What does it look like in corporate worship? Versus the way it is in the culture. Everybody has to begin to wrestle with this. That we believe it, but how do we live it? And we are necessarily then prone as humans to go from one extreme to the other. Another way to say it, we as people can mess up anything. And we always do. And so we can take a, a truth that we really believe and try to apply it. And usually we end up falling off the wagon on one side or the other. And find our car in the ditch somewhere. And so what happens inevitably with anything is self-promotion and pride, independence. Matter of fact, this has everything to do with seeking the good of other people. Absolutely everything. Because that's what we struggle with. And so effectively we may have some, some women gathering together to burn the burkas, so to speak. The manner that we conduct ourselves in public worship communicates two things. What we believe about God and what we believe about each other. And so, this is important. Students, pay attention to this today. Because we're about to do 180. We're going to talk about worldview and how to defend our faith. Notice how Paul deals with this today. Very important. And I'm sorry, you know, we all like to go through verse 2, verse 3, verse 4. He's just, Paul's being complicated here. He's... He's making arguments, and so we're going to have to bounce around the text a little bit. So just use your notes. Notes are on the screen. Hang with me. Verse 2. Now I commend you because you remember me and everything and maintain the traditions I have delivered to you. So traditions, this is first and foremost, must be rooted in the person and work of God. Or to say it another way, traditions should be foundational in theology. It should be theological. If not, our traditions can simply become about who? About us. That's the first principle that we see here, that he has given them traditions and they are following them. Look at verse 16. If anyone is inclined to be contentious, we have no such practices, nor do the churches of God. In other words, the traditions that he has given is, is being practiced among all the churches. It's not just Corinth that he's teaching this to. 
if you want to, or just listen, 2 Thessalonians uses this word tradition and gives us a little bit of light of how it came to be. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 15 says this, So then, brothers, stand firm and hold to the traditions that you were taught by us, listen, either by us, our spoken word or by our letter. In other words, traditions in that day were handed down orally or he gave them to them in a letters while we read his letters. And the churches were practicing them. Flip over if you've got Second Thessalonians to chapter 3 and verse 6. We see it come up again. He says, Now we command you, brothers, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you keep away from any brother who is walking in idleness, and listen, and not in accord with the traditions that you receive from us. So traditions then are given to us to help us know how to worship and how to live. They're not bad. Are they rooted in God? He says, he's going to show us in a minute that, that this one is. Paul's commending them. You need to read this because in, in the next section, he's not going to commend them. He says, I commend you. In other words, generally speaking, people are practicing this. But there is a controversy. There's a question. And he's going to deal with it. How is he going to answer this question? Someone comes into the church. We do some weird things. Just look at the way you're sitting. Who sits like this? Right? We're all sitting in these lined up chairs. They're all pointed towards me. I'm standing up here talking. Imagine you've never been in church before. And then at the end, these people come down with plates and pass them and expect you to put money in there. Like, what's up with that? Just think if you've never been part of this. We do all kinds of things. If someone says at the end, say, Jason, that's a little weird. Why are y'all passing that plate by everybody for? Y'all got some kind of problem? How are you going to answer it? Just what we do. Right? No, that's not the right answer. That's not the right answer. So how would we answer it? Well, we're going to learn that today. We see first off, we do what we do in order to, to bring God glory and to build up the church of Jesus Christ. That's why we do what we do. And if we're not doing it for that reason, it needs to go. Another little nugget of how to make decisions. So how are we going to deal with this? First, need to understand we act the way we act in corporate worship because God is our ultimate authority. This is the timeless truth. It's verse 3. But I want you to understand that the head of every man is Christ. The head of a wife is her husband. The head of Christ is God. This is a timeless truth. Traditions change based off culture. That never changes. This is the absolute. What is the word... It's very tricky if you study. There's, a, there's, I don't know how much I read this week on the word head. Sometimes the word head can mean the source, like headwaters. Sometimes it can mean origin. And sometimes it means authority. Authority is most likely in view here. Colossians 1, 18. We'll look at this again next week. And he is the head of the body, the church. And he is the beginning, the firstborn of the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. We see the here, actually, 
both Christ being the source, the beginning point, and also the preeminent one. Remember the question. The question is, Paul, do women need to keep covering their heads, or does the gospel tell us we don't need to do that anymore? There's always something going on deeper than simply the question. It was going on deeper in the culture, and it was going on deeper in the hearts of the one asking the question. And so Paul goes deeper with it. Goes, points to Christ. Notice Christ is in here a couple times in verse 3. If you look back up at verse 1, and we'll come back to that at the end, we're supposed to be imitators of Christ. Christ is the point. His person, His work, the incarnation, redemption, this is what's in view in their mind. He's the head. He's our authority. Therefore, the theology... What we believe about our authority produces how we act. People call this the vertical and the horizontal. What we see about God affects how we live in relationship to man. And as far as it is corporate worship and husbands and wives, men are expected to honor Christ. And we're going to clarify this as we go. Paul is intentionally circular and redundant. Wives are expected to honor their husbands just as... Christ honors and glorifies and submits to his Father. That's the, that's the standard. If you don't understand authority and submission, you've got to go back to the Godhead. You've got to go back to Christ and his church. Authority always calls for submission. Now, we're not talking about men laying on the couch, hollering at his wife for another beer and saying, God told you to submit. You're reading somebody else's mail. <laughs> this is two people, husband and wife, gathering, corporately gathering for worship, and they got questions. Wrestling with this. Corporate worship communicates what we believe about our authority and also about our Creator. So notice this. This is going to be important. We're going to talk about this all weekend, us and the students are. How do you deal with an issue when it comes up? You go back somewhere. Where does he go? Look at verse 7. 7 to 9. For a man ought, to not cover, ought not to cover his head, since he is the image and glory of God, but woman is the glory of man. For man was not made from woman, but woman from man. Verse 9. Neither was man created for woman, but woman for man. So where does he go to answer the question? Creation. Yeah, Scripture. Then creation. Goes back to the beginning. This is our hint of how we begin to engage people who do have questions. You see, men would go into the temple, into the pagan temples, and they would cover their head. Paul's saying, don't you bring that in the church of God. We do not cover, men do not cover their head because men are the glory of God. We leave our heads uncovered. Yes, there's bad traditions and we're not supposed to be a part of them. You see, what's running rampant in the culture today, it's the same thing that was running rampant in the culture then. Rampant sexuality, questions of sexual identity, homosexuality, and everything under the sun. It was alive and well then, just like it was now. The culture had an answer to the question. 
And these things affect us. And so he's saying, let's go back to the beginning to understand how we conduct ourselves. In other words, he just didn't answer the question. Yes. He could have just said, yes, chapter 12. (laughs) Or now let's talk about the Lord's Supper. He didn't. He goes back to Genesis 1, verses 26 and 27. says this, And God said, Let us make man in our image and after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. Verse 27. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he them. Listen, male and female, he created them. Now flip over to chapter 2. Look at verse 18. Then the Lord said, It is not good that a man should be alone. I will make a helper fit for him. Verse 21. So the Lord caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and while he slept, he took one of his ribs and closed up its place with the flesh. Verse 22, And the rib that the Lord God had taken out of man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, This is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, because she was taken out of man. Verse 24, therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. This is the foundation. Should women cover their heads in church? That was the question. He went back to the beginning. God is our authority. He created man, and he created woman out of man, and they are one. In other words, he appeals to creation. The point here is not the image of God. Look, Go back and look at verses 7 to 10. The point is glory. You see what he's doing? Shame, honor, shame culture. He's establishing, this is what Christianity does. It says, if there's honor and shame going on, our attention must first be with our authority, who is our creator, who created us with a purpose. He is our authority. He gives us our roles. He gives us our very purpose in life. And that either one, both the husband or the wife, both the male and the female, will bring shame and not honor to their authority if they do not live the way they are created, designed to live. He's not saying that they're not created in God's, women are not created in God's image. God's word says just the opposite if you look at verses 26 and 27 of Genesis 1. He's speaking about roles. He's concentrating on that, that their distinctive natures, the way God made them, He made them and gave them a role and a very purpose, and it is that purpose of how they should bring glory to God in their distinctive ways. In other words, this is clear, brothers and sisters. The woman is not designed to reflect the glory of God as the head of her home or the church. Her husband is supposed to be the head of her home. I'm not speaking about those single moms who have to be both and those kind of situations. We're talking about when a husband and a wife seek to honor the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior and how this affects how they come into corporate worship. So says you've got to go back to the beginning. I almost skipped this. Just being honest today. I'm going to be honest with you about a few things today and I hope it helps you. I almost skipped this verse 10 because I didn't know what to do with it to start with. When you first read it, I said, oh, maybe they won't notice if I just go to verse 11. This is why a wife ought to have a symbol of authority on her head because of the angels. I mean, what's up with that? 
I'm glad I didn't skip it. Plenty of people that like to sit around and talk about these things have liked to debate it. It could be an actual messenger. Remember the word angel doesn't always mean angel as in a supernatural being. It could be a messenger. But here, it seems to be talking about angels. Actual angels who are present and assist in worship. (laughs) This ought to, to, hmm, I better wake up here. In other words... The messengers, the angels care about how we worship our God and how we live in relationship to our spouses. He cares about our corp- they care about our corporate worship, that it is God-centered and not man-centered. Turn with me. I want you to see this. It's a reason. This, is the, this verse is the whole reason I'm glad. I just look at the text. What does the Bible say? Ephesians chapter 3, look at verse 10. So that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in heavenly places. Did you just get that? What's happening right here today and all over the world? What we do in corporate worship is we put God on display for both demons and angels. When we gather together, we are saying Jesus is Lord and nobody else is. And we are one with Him. Is there any wonder while you can gather a group all day long, but you establish the church of Jesus Christ and start carrying on the mission of God and you will face warfare because of this reason right now. So he's saying for a woman to understand that the head of every of her home and of the church Is a man is important in the physical and the spiritual. So what does all this have to do with worship now, here, there? I'm going to apply a little bit as I go today. God, not us, determines how we bring Him glory. God, not us, determines how we honor Him. He's our authority. He's our creator. He made us. He designed you. And He knows what glory is about and how to bring him honor. To worship without obedient submission is hypocrisy. It dishonors our Lord. Can I ask you a question? Husband and wife. When is the last time you did the work of ministry together? Together. I, I wish somebody would have asked me that years ago. You see, Christina sang in the choir. She loved it. I was a deacon. Back then, deacons would do their job, whatever they were assigned to do. I did that job well. I loved doing it. But she had her ministry, and I had my ministry. That happens if you don't do something about it today. I'm asking you today, based off of this, how do we respond in corporate worship? That we had to realize that God created us to minister together. I, am, I was only half a deacon without my wife, and I'd be only half a pastor without her. So amen, somebody. That's the truth. We are asking you, and some of you have not turned in your Let's Go 2020 papers. And if you're a leader, you should have already turned it in. 
I'm asking you to do this with your wife. Do it together. Do it with your family. Stop talking about missions with your kids and do it. We do it together. This is what it looks like. My best ministry partner in life, hands down, is my wife. And if you're married today, it's true for you too. Brothers, be a servant like Christ and they'll follow you. Ladies, make your husband your champion and he'll stand up. Corporate worship is about our authority and it's about our creator. And you can see already it's also about how we relate to one another. We are distinctly created. Verse 13 to 15. Chapter 11. Judge for yourself. Is it proper for a wife to pray to God with her head uncovered? There's, there's, notice there's a little bit of sarcasm here. Verse 14. Does not nature itself teach you that if, a, that if a man wears long hair, it is a disgrace for him? But if a woman has long hair, it is for her glory? He's saying, judge for yourself. Just think about this. Don't overcomplicate it. That's what he's saying. Just just look at yourselves. You're distinctly different. God created us male and female. He Notice the word here, proper. You should be able to determine based off the fact that we are created distinctly and differently what is proper way to worship and what is not. So what he is saying is this new trend that's going out in the culture is improper. It's not what the gospel says, and you're not supposed to be emulated. You go back to your head, you see how he created you for, this is how we bring glory to him. Look at verse uh, 14 again. There's some natural differences. You see that? He's using the length of the hair to make his point. Do we all know, and their culture was true just like it is now. Now there's same-sex attraction and unnatural men trying to be women, women trying to be men. That's going on in their day too, and they're struggling with it. He said, by and large, by nature, we can look at each other, even the way we style our hair, and see that we're different. No, Jesus wasn't some sissy-looking white guy with long locks of hair. I know the pictures say that. He was a man. He looked like a man. He was distinctly a man. You have to blindfold yourself in the shower to not know that God created us a difference. That's what he's saying. This is obvious. This is natural. And some of the men and women that God created are married. If you look at verse 3 and 3 to 6 again, you see this over and over again. Verse 3, the head of the wife is her husband. In verse 5, but every wife who prays. Verse 6, for if a wife will not cover her head... In other words, the issue, the controversy, the problem is going on most likely with married women to know how they should, what clothing they should wear as they worship. Goes back, Ephesians 5.23, we know this. He says this over and over, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. That both have a role. There's theological principles here. 
That we honor Christ through our obedience and submission no matter who we are. So the main issue here, and this is important, it's not, it's not marriage. That's not the issue. It's our adornment in corporate worship that they're concerned about. So he's not saying that there is some kind of essential dignity and worth and value different from men and women. Far from it. I'm gonna, you're going to see here in a minute that why they had some questions. There were things going on in corporate worship we need to learn from. What if you're not married today? What are you supposed to do with this? Just, I'm, not, I'm not married or my spouse has gone on to be with the Lord. Oh, well, what should I do with this? You could preach the whole sermon as well on biblical authority. Scripture calls them elders. We do have authority. We all have them within the church. God calls pastors in plurality to lead his people. He calls the people to submit to that authority. And if that's not happening, the work of the Holy Spirit is being quenched by our rebellion. So how do, what do we do with this? I just want you to notice something. It's a little application point. The health of your marriage from Monday to Saturday affects worship on Sunday. You with me? The, the health of your marriage, you dishonor your wife on Monday, you are quenching the work of the Holy Spirit on Sunday. I don't want to be too parental here, but don't you ever dishonor your spouse in public. You shouldn't dishonor her anyway, but to speak ill of her to someone else is to sin against your maker. How healthy is your marriage? Are you too proud today to ask for help? I just want to be honest with you. Can I help you today? Can I relieve your pressure? There was a season when me and Christina needed help in our marriage, and we asked for it, and we got it, and we love our Lord and each other far more for it. The health of your marriage, the worship of God is at stake to that. Fight for it. Strive for a healthier marriage. Our worship, God's glory, and the building of God's kingdom and the mission of church depends on how healthy your marriage is. It is the frontline spiritual warfare in this life. He hates marriage. He hates the church. And so we must put our armor on and fight for both. Here's what I want you to see about the text today. Besides the verse 10 about the angels, this was another thing that just got my attention. You get verse 4 and 5. We are all in one in Christ. All are in Christ. This is, could be easily missed. Verse 4. Every man who prophesies with his head covered dishonors his head. Look at verse 5. But every wife who prays and prophesies with her head uncovered dishonors her head. Do you see the every wife? So what is going on that is the same between the husband and and the wife. Look at the text. Somebody tell me. What are both doing in the church? Praying and prophesying. Okay? Not making that up. Not my words. Just reading the Bible. Again, talking about his head. Twofold. Their head being a symbol of something greater. That is, their authority 
whether it is Christ or their husband. But this presumes something. That both men and women are both active, active part of corporate worship. The issue is not whether they should be or not. The issue is whether they are, they are displaying for public display that they are under the authority of their husband. This probably means, and we're going to put tension to this when we get to chapter 14, that we can be a mite bit planned around in America. Have you ever noticed that? Most churches have an actual guide. We've got one too. You just don't have, one, have a copy of it, right? This shows the order of the service. You know, praise the Lord going on mission trips. You fly over somewhere else to another context. You know what you're not going to find? A clock. It's wonderful. You just wish you could speak the language. There's no clock. There's worship. Most likely it's what's going on. Unplanned worship from individuals, men and women, where they both pray and sing and encourage the body of Christ. Both are actively a part of that. So for a woman to serve on the praise team, to sing and pray, to read scripture and encourage God's people, does not undermine headship. It Rather, it gives an opportunity to display it. The issue is that they display it. Because that does not change. So, the issue here, do you see it? The problem is a handful of women who thought being free in Christ meant, meant they were free from their husbands. And he says, no, no, no. We are one. We are one in our worship. We are also, look at verse 11 and 12. We are interdependent. We are so much one that we are, we are not autonomous individuals. Nevertheless, in the Lord. It's important, by the way. Nevertheless, in the Lord. Women, a woman is not independent of man, nor a man of woman. We're not, we're not independent from each other. The man's not independent because he is the head. He is more connected and more dependent because he is the head. The argument here is, is careful. It is structural. It says... We, a man and a woman are interconnected and neither are free from the other and both of them are what? Connected in Christ who gives everything. The beginning and the end of this section. So what today? So what today? This could be the hard part. So how do we take this about head coverings and submission and bring it into the life of the church is our corporate worship driven by our desire to be like Christ this is where Pastor Micah ended last week this is interconnected is our worship about two ultimate things bringing glory to our God and building up each other if it's not we shouldn't be doing it but if it is we should never sacrifice it but here, you t I hope you're seeing this today. What's going on in your life has everything to do with what's going on here right now. No one just shows up to Sunday to worship. 
Our Sunday gathering is a corporate culmination of our individual lives of worship. Our Sunday gathering is is simply, merely our corporate culmination, our culmination of all our lives individually of our Romans 12 too. Present your body as a living sacrifice to God. It's your spiritual worship. This is our life as believers. And when it is, we gather together, unstoppably so, necessarily so, to glorify our God together and to build each other up, to encourage each other, Why? Because this is hard. We need encouragement. You need each other. How do you traditionally start and end every day? Because if you're like me, I'm I'm a chronic workaholic. I just get up and get to it. That affects how we gather together. Can I ask you something, busy people? When is the last time you stopped and looked up and were brought to worship? This whole world spends its time teaching you that you need to make yourself look big. When the greatest act of worship is when God makes you look small. When you stand up up underneath His creation and just say for a minute, this is is my Father's world. And I am His. Oh, if we did that through the week, what would the worship look like on Sunday? But you know, I talked to Christina about this last night. I'm sitting and going around. I'm sitting there going, what could I talk about at application? I got my list. And me and Mike had talked about it. You know, modesty is going on here in the text. We should be modest. We should not be gossip busybodies going around undermining each other, especially our spouses or our elders, that kind of stuff. You know, and I'm, I look at all those things and I, can I commend you? I just don't know of one. We just don't have immodest women in here. I, can I commend you? You made my application even harder today. We will. We'll deal with it when it comes. Listen, we've already set up a system, whether you realize it or not. We do not have age segregation here. So that the older can speak into the younger's life in a natural way. I just wanted to commend you. I just don't know of any modesty issues, gossiping, bike bottom, or authoritarian types trying to undermine everybody's authority. Praise the Lord, right? 1 Corinthians 10.31 So whether you eat... Or drink or whatever you do, do all of the glory of God. And then Paul says, be imitators of me as I am of Christ. So, thought about this last night. I'm about to be spontaneous. Right? So I'm just warning you. Don't have enough spontaneity sometimes in our life and church life. I asked myself this, this morning and... Through the week, how, Lord, how could we imitate this? Here's what I wanted to do today. If your wife's not here, it's fine. Don't, don't panic. I want our deacons and I want our leadership team, I want, you to, I want you to sit on the front rows here. And I want your wife, if she's here, to come with you. Come on. Stand up, leadership. Deacons and leadership team. If your wife's here, I want her to come. 
She's not. It's okay. We've got sick kids and kids working in kids' ministry. And y'all sit down. Sit down. A couple different things. I didn't spend a lot of time. And uh, just get spread out all the way. Get on the second row if you need to. Make sure if your spouse is here, she's beside of you. I didn't spend enough time talking about headship within the church because of the context of the passage. But I want you to know, these men reflect both your, your deacons and your leadership team. And they need your prayer. So what we're going to have now is a time of prayer. If you want to come around these men and put your hands on them and pray with them, I would, I would encourage it. But here's what I want you to do. Megan, I want you to pray for your husband. I want you to pray for him. I, I want to hear the prayers of the saints, but here's what I want you to understand. This should be happening in corporate worship. Wives praying for their husbands, and husbands praying for the wives. But here's what I want us to do today. I want us to lead by example. I want our, us as men to let our wives pray for us. Okay? And I want you, if you've got a spouse sitting beside of you, I want your spouse to pray for you, but I want everybody to be praying for your leadership team. Are you with me? We need the prayers. And so I want my wife to come pray for me. We're going to take some time. There's no music. There's just prayers. I want you to pray. If you feel comfortable praying out loud, please do so. But let's pray for each other and pray for our spouses. And then I'll close us. Lord, as we corporately come to you in prayer, we pray for many things, Lord. For First, Lord, we, we come to you with grateful hearts that we have two distinct offices that you have given to us and we have those you have called to serve. And uh, Lord, there is much that you have called us to do this year. And we can't dare begin it, nor would we want to. Lord, we feel like Moses said, Lord, if you don't go with us, we don't want to go. And uh, but you have promised through the Holy Spirit that you are with us. So Lord, we want to we be part of the mission of God with you. And we can't do it without our spouses and with the support of our people and without godly leadership. And so, Lord, we thank you for them. I thank you, Lord, that you have proven this church through all kinds of different things over the last five years. And we thank you for every one of them. Well, Lord, I pray now for the men in this room and for the women in this room that you would give them wisdom and strength, that you would feel them their bodies with your power, Lord. To let nothing come between them and you. And to let nothing come between the marriage. And Lord, that all people, whether we are married or not, would hold marriage in high esteem. For it is the way that we display you. Oh God. As now we transition to worship with our mouths as we sing, as we stand to our feet to worship. Lord, I pray now that those that we cannot see that are bearing witness to what we are doing now, that we would make the demons furious and we would make the angels rejoice.
Not only for how we worship you now, but how we worship you as we go. Lord, as we stand together, will you be honored and your church be built up? Would even now, that these sitting in front of me, you would bind them closer to you and closer to each other by the power of your spirit, for the glory of your name, by the authority of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, our Creator and our Redeemer. His name is Jesus. We pray in his name. Amen. Stand to your feet. Let's worship.